0: Log Talk Radio. Hey if you're looking for educational sports radio and not the same banter egos and questions for hours and hours, then Sports Beat, your alternative is next as part of Mountain Meadow Production. Stay tuned. From the studio of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener. With that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host... John Spolos. Well, hello, everybody, welcome to this Friday program, the 16th day of February 2024. Thanks so much for joining us on yet another segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports. And today we're going to be talking about the uh, NFL helmet and the history of the helmet and also um, the teams that, you know, adorn uh, various helmets. You know, very few of the teams today uh, in the NFL have the same helmets that they started with. Uh, Interestingly enough, way back in the AFL, the American Football League, which was the brainchild, so to speak, of Lamar Hunt, who was uh, not only the founder of the American Football League in 1960, But also the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, his son Dean, has taken over now as uh, Lamar Hunt has passed away. But his legacy, of course, remains. And uh, the Chiefs were the Dallas Texans. They had a red helmet with the state of Texas and a little star located where uh, Dallas was. Uh, It was Lamar Hunt's feeling that two teams could not function in Dallas. They had the Dallas Cowboys. Incidentally, the Cowboys came into the league in 1960 as well. A lot of people think the Cowboys are a... uh, you know, a, a, a long-established team, but that is not the case. They came in 60, and uh, the Chiefs moved north to Kansas City, changing their name and their helmet, which uh, they still basically have the same uniform. Uh, you know, the red jersey, uh, it's been altered somewhat. The helmet now with uh, the logo is smaller. If you look at back in the 60s and 70s when Dotson was there, the logo uh, was very, very wide on the Chiefs' uh, helmet. The Buffalo Bills, uh, who came into the league as well, 1960, uh, Ralph Wilson was the owner of Ralph. Uh, most of those owners are now have passed away. There's, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if any of them are still, the originals are still alive, but Ralph Wilson also always uh, admired the Detroit Lions. And the Buffalo Bills, if you look it up, uh they had the same type of uniform as the uh Detroit Lions they had a silver helmet with black lead, uh numbers and they had blue jerseys before they went to their uh you know Jack Kemp years Daryl LaMonica years where they had the white helmet and the and the red buffalo on there and there's a lot of sentiment for fans who you know really like bringing all that uh nostalgia back it really started back in 94 Uh, where the league started to uh, adorn uh, the teams with their uh, vintage uniforms. The Bears, who uh, were the Decatur Staley's way back in the 1920s, when the league first started, before it was called the uh, NFL, had uh, blue and orange. And that came from uh, George Hallis, who was the uh, coach of the Decatur Staley's, later on became the owner and adorned them in the colors of his alma mater the University of Illinois who has, still has the uh, orange and blue and so they had blue jerseys with if you look we have it on our site they have these stripes vertical stripes going up and down and that was leather that was actually sewn in by Hallis. Hallis did most of the work for the Bears in the early days they didn't have the equipment managers and everything else that they have today it wasn't a high-tech program. Uh, most of those teams were lucky to get from week to week without going out of business. But anyway, um, those uh, those were sewn in so the ball wouldn't, um, you know, be fumbled because the ball was not quite as tapered in those days as it was today. Uh, the Houston Oilers, an interesting story. The Oilers have Columbia Blue. I've told the story before, but when uh, Lamar Hunt decided to uh, start the league, Uh, He wanted Columbia Blue for the Chiefs, for the Texans, and his uh, good pal, uh, Bud Adams, who owned the Oilers, beat him to it, and the Oilers had their uh, Columbia Blue uh, jerseys. Uh, That's when Blander was there. Of course, the Oilers won the first uh, two years. 60, 61, and 62, they were in the championship against the Dallas Texans. One of the great, thrilling games. You can actually see that game on YouTube uh, where Tommy Brooker kicked the field goal in overtime to win it for the uh, Dallas Texans, and uh, Hank Stram becomes a champion. But they had, uh, the Chiefs were supposed to be blue, and the uh, Oilers were supposed to be red. But the Oilers' uh, uniform, of course, has changed because of uh, you know, the team relocating, and, of course, that's another situation. We've seen other teams in the NBA, like the Seattle Supersonics now, you know, who are the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Their colors and uniforms have changed. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, uh, way, way back, uh, you know, before they had the actual plastic helmets, they had gold helmets with a green stripe down it. In the 1960 uh, championship, at Franklin Field in Philadelphia, uh, Lombardi's Packers came in uh, in that championship game without the Gs on their helmet. If you look it up, you can see it. Uh, They just had the yellow uh, helmet with the uh, striping down the center. Uh, There was a time when they just had yellow helmets. And so, you know, the the logos of teams are very interesting because uh, before the 40s, actually I believe it was 1946, None of the teams really had logos. Uh, Most of the teams had leather helmets, and so it was the idea of a running back named Fred Gerke, who played for the Rams, who was uh, an art major in college, and uh, he painted on his leather helmet Rams horns. The helmet was blue. They did have, in those days, colored uh, leather helmets. Most of the teams were brown or black, but the Rams had a blue one, and you can see that helmet. It's actually in the Hall of Fame. I believe um, uh, it's, it's in the, uh, the actual hall when you walk down and, and see the Rams' uh, various uniforms. The Rams started in Cleveland as the Cleveland Rams, and their uniform was nothing like it is today. It was a, a dark black with orange. And uh, Gurkey anyway, painted the uh, helmet. Uh, with these horns, and uh, when they took it to the uh, coach, the coach saw it, he was impressed, and the owner was even more impressed, and from there on, uh, Gerke was paid by the owner of the Los Angeles Rams at the time in 1946 to paint uh, horns, Ram horns, on all of the players' helmets. And so, you know, to that day, um, we can pretty much, you know, uh, thank him for the idea of getting... Uh, a logo on the helmet. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's how it came down. So, uh, you know, the number one was the Cleveland Browns. Now, some people had seen the alternate uniform this year of the Cleveland Browns. This is a team, of course, that uh, came in in the American Professional Football League. This is not the AFL of 1960, but the 40s, uh, where Paul Brown, of course, the legendary coach, uh, was uh, synonymous with winning uh, his team, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, a lot of uh, coaches that uh, were under his tutelage became very well-known uh, or used his uh, his philosophies. And uh, the Cleveland Browns, of course, were in that uh, league with the San Francisco 49ers. The Colts were part of that. They all came into the National Football League, as so many uh, defunct leagues have done. And so the uh, – if you saw the, the Browns' uniform, uh, they were wearing the white jersey and the white pants. And it's actually not new. Uh, the Browns um, had actually <clears throat> excuse me, worn those in the 50s. And uh, the NFL teams were allowed to wear their alternate uniforms for up to three games during a season, and the Browns uh, took advantage of it, of course. Um, Cleveland... Uh, Adding the white helmet might seem odd, but the Browns did it to honor their past. The team wore a white helmet during the inaugural season in 1946 and then kept it until '51. So the orange helmet made its debut in 1950. That was according to uh, the Cleveland Browns website. And uh, one notable part about the white helmet is that the Browns won a championship in each of the first five seasons that they wore them. Uh, the Browns played in the All-American Football Conference. It was the um, the AAFC is what it was called from 1946 to 49, and they won four straight titles before moving to the NFL where they won a championship uh, with Paul Brown in 1950. And so, you know, that is uh, kind of a look at some of the helmets uh, that uh, have changed over the years. And, uh, you know, the Bears, of course, wearing their... Uh, way back in 94, wearing that blue jersey with the orange stripes that dictated the actual uh, leather stripes that were sewn in by George Hallis. Uh, most of the helmets in those days, of course, were leather, so the Bears were wearing a black helmet with no logo. And uh, that was, of course, before Fred Gurky in 1946. So, you know, the... the uh, the league, the helmet has actually changed. Uh, you know, we look way back uh, to Super Bowl One, where I was uh, part of that. I, I remember the, the game very well, and you know, it was more of a suspension type of, um, almost an astronaut type helmet. It was molded to the head. Um, it didn't really offer a lot of protection. It was plastic. It was suspended. It had webbing inside it, and it was almost like a bobblehead type of helmet. And if you look you know, at the uniforms, for the most part, uh, uniforms are pretty much the same as they were in Super Bowl One, with the exception of the pants. Now, the pants in those days kind of laced up, kind of like a shoelace, uh, right in the pelvic area. Uh, now, of course, it's, uh, they're all high-tech, uh, wicked, which uh, uh, kind of eliminates the perspiration and uh, cools the player and so forth, but uh, we approach the 150 plus anniversary of football, Rutgers versus Princeton 1869, um, we look at the, uh, the helmet and what happens. And so next to the football, no piece of equipment is more synonymous with American football than the helmet. And initially, an outlier, over the next 125 years, it's transitioned from elective to essential. You know, in the very early days of uh, the NFL, there was a player named Bill Hewitt who didn't wear a helmet. Helmets weren't mandatory in the very early age. Most of them, most of the players wore them. But Bill, you, there's pictures of Bill Hewitt uh, actually um, lateraling the ball, and you can see his hair flying around, and and uh, he he didn't wear a helmet. So it's regarded as the key piece of gear in making the sport safer. And for that reason, advancements and in innovations in headgear are being announced with increasing frequency. Particularly uh, that the uh, former players who have uh, suffered. Uh, CTEs and concussions and so forth have sued the NFL over the years and uh, yet has been proven throughout sports history rules and equipment are only part of the ultimate equation. So in the beginning, the shiny, sometimes effective, reflective helmets of today are far cry from what was first introduced in the 19th century. Football was widely considered blood sport then. 1894, the Harvard-Yale game was so brutal at five of the games, players were taken to the hospital, after sustaining multiple hits to the head, a midshipman named Joseph Reeve asked an Annapolis cobbler to construct a leather headpiece. Now, a cobbler, of course, is a shoemaker, and that Reeve could wear in the annual Army-Navy contest. Hardly a helmet, but it was a start. So the first quarter of the 20th century saw the leather caps more closely resembling modern-day rugby headgear, they begin to catch on. In 1904, there were reported 18 football deaths across the nation related to skull fractures. So, new rules were implemented to curb uh, the on-field violence, and the helmet was evolving as well. Soon, featuring a hardened exterior, ventilation, padding, and ear holes, the second-generation helmets gradually became more accepted, yet still uh, optional. So, this was the age of the so-called leatherheads. That's what they called them in the launch of the NFL in 1920. So. Headgear becomes mandatory and then modifies. So seeking to make the sport safer, 1939 college rules made the helmet mandatory, and the NFL followed suit four years later. And John T. Riddell, he was the helmet maker, was developing the first plastic helmet to feature the inner liner suspension system that absorbed and better distributed the impact. Not only did the NFL teams take notice, but so did the U.S. military, which upon the endorsement of uh, someone we all know, General George Patton, modified it for widespread use for army during World War II, and the uh, shut becomes the first to manufacture face masks. Chin straps were soon added, and by 1949, the plastic model was on the present, both among pros and amateurs. And one time, art student we brought him up now, Los Angeles Rams halfback. Uh, Fred Gerkey started a branding revolution, painting Ram horns on the old college helmet. Rams management, as I said, loved it and commissioned Gerkey to paint all the team's headgear. And upon seeing the branded helmets for the first time, a stadium full of Rams fans erupted into a lengthy standing ovation. I can just imagine what that was like. And continuing throughout the 50s, virtually every team in America conducted a helmet makeover, adding distinctive colors, or an emblem and baking them into the plastic now what they do today is they actually have a uh, decal it's a very heavy vinyl decal Uh, the equipment manager is really responsible for that Uh, he places the decal on the helmet and then takes a hairdryer and actually cements it onto the helmet Uh, you know if you look at some of the linemen I remember Ed Buddy and some of those uh, Linemen of the Chiefs. Uh, sometimes you couldn't see the logo; it was so worn from headbutting, you know, each other. But uh, that's how they do it today. Uh, it is not painted on for the most part. It's, uh, those uh, stripings and everything you see on the helmets are actually decals, heavy-duty vinyl decals. So beyond cosmetics, more padding and face masks were introduced, and in the later beginning with a single bar to. Deeter defenders from grabbing or hitting the face, and face masks soon became expanded uh, to two to three bars with players wearing them throughout the NFL. By 1962, we remember the uh, linemen wearing what they called the birdcage, that uh, mask that came all the way down past the chin. So as a result, there were uh, far fewer gouged eyes, broken noses, and lost uh, teeth. And unfortunately, it also created a false air of invincibility. Shoulder tackling began giving way to more dangerous head-on approach in which the helmet became a weapon. Of course, they have disbanded that now uh, over the last few years. So with players growing increasingly bigger, stronger, and faster, the force exerted in collisions was on the rise. And so developers remained devoted to protecting the skull. There was thicker, more effective padding. New types of energy-absorbing cushions and air or fluid-filled bladders Surrounded the head. So then the helmets go high-tech, and the 80s ushered in a new era of materials and greater engineering detail, making helmets stronger yet lighter, down to about three pounds in some cases. And Riddell uh, introduced a rigid polycarbonate alloy shell and vinyl-coated steel alloy face masks. And Riddell vsr 4 was picture-perfect, a classic to this day with circular ear hole and a perfect rounded dome. So face masks retreated in size, affording more visibility, and to protect their eyes, players began opting to outfit their uh, headpiece with plastic visors. So during the 90s, another function was added to some helmets. Radio transmitters were implanted in quarterback's helmets, allowing coaches to communicate with complicated hand signals or shuttling in messengers. And uh, that was not the first time. Uh, They actually used those in the 40s. Uh, You wouldn't think they had the technology to do it, but they did use uh, radio helmets uh, for the quarterbacks way back in the 40s, late 40s. So it's nothing new. It's just been more modified now. So as football entered the new millennium, Riddell's spherical Revo design was intended to reduce concussions. In the last decade, it unveiled a system that records the frequency and severity of impacts to a player's head during games and practices. And more recently, Riddell's Precision Fit process seeks to further individualize the equipment by using 3D-printed helmet liners that will aim to absorb contact and provide more protection. And then Schutz F7 model features a shell of textonic plates and cushioning to move independently in a liner that diffuses the force of impact. The Zero-One by Visix. Uh, moves the polycarbonate shell inside a flexible polymer exterior, so headgear acts like a car bumper, slowing down the forces. It was rated one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions in uh, 2017. So some teams are attempting to further reduce concussion risk. During practice sessions, You've seen those uh, odd-shaped shell, uh, soft shell covers are fitted over helmets for players such as linemen, tight ends, and linebackers. And the covers are not approved for use in college or professional games. So in collaboration with the NFL Players Association, the NFL has concluded which helmets are acceptable for use in the 2019 season, while 11 models that did not meet their safety standards have been banned. Uh, So reducing the risk requires new approach. New generations of high-tech, expensive helmets can reduce risk by softening blows, and some of the safer helmets are bigger, heavier, and considered by some unwildly. But consequently, some players may reject wearing them, but no amount of science can compete with a more common-sense approach to playing the game. So leagues, coaches, and medical personnel must act more decisively to straightaway remove from action those players suspected of having a concussion. And finally, to further risk, reduce uh, the uh, risk of injury, coaches must teach and stress the importance of keeping the head out of the tackle uh, you know, all of the time. Um, There are many more players than just those in the NFL and major college level. In early 2019, Virginia Tech researcher ran 17 football helmets through 48 tests that covered both impact locations and velocities. And it was the first known independent test data grading the effectiveness of headgear for youth under 14. Now, you know, we have a lot of debate about football in general now. We've seen more uh, concussions, more. Uh, critical joint problems. Uh, We've even seen arthritic problems in young players, and there are a number of former players uh, who feel that you shouldn't have your kids play football. And football sign-ups are down across the country, uh, mainly because uh, players are faster and bigger, even kids. Uh, And so even though these helmets and the evolution of the helmet has, uh, you know, certainly cut down. It hasn't eliminated uh, the problems of concussions and CTE. But the helmet, uh, you know, of today, and you see the ridges that are in the helmet, very few players, uh, maybe with the exception of kickers, have a smooth shell helmet. It's The ridges in there, which are supposed to act like a bumper, a shock absorber, Uh, when the head is hit, it kind of absorbs... Uh, the shock blows uh, kind of like uh, when you wear braces on your legs when you run uh, each time you you take a step, uh, the shock waves come from the foot to the ankle to the knee to the hip, and some of the technology now has um, you know ascertained the fact that uh, the shock waves are not as 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 big so the evolution of the helmet certainly uh, when we look uh, down the road what 's it going to be like? Uh, It is a multi-billion dollar business, and uh, there's only a few manufacturers, Shutt and uh, Visis and also uh, Riddell, who is probably the the best known. Uh, But it's interesting how, you know, when you look at the helmets of uh, yesteryear, how they've uh, metamorphosized kind of over the years. You know, we've seen uh, very few teams having the same helmet. I mean, the Houston Oilers now move to Tennessee, and their helmet doesn't resemble anything that it did before. Even their colors, even though they still have Columbia Blue, they also have a a dark blue. Uh, The helmet has like a Titan, uh, you know, logo on it. Uh, The Browns at one point had numbers on their helmets back in the – 50s. They had it for a few years, uh, and then they went to an orange helmet. Now, most people, I think, know as fans that the Cleveland Browns, who really now are the uh, Baltimore Ravens because they moved from Cleveland to Baltimore, so the true Cleveland Brown team remains in the blood of the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And then the NFL gave Cleveland uh, another franchise, and, of course, they called it the Browns. But that was created uh, for Coach Paul Brown and that is why uh, there is real no logo. They do have that leprechaun-type logo that they've painted on the field. There has been some question as to whether they should put that on their helmets. Uh, I think the fans are divided in Cleveland for that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the Cleveland Browns remain the only team, uh, probably in football, that has just a basic helmet. I know they are the only team in the NFL. Uh, When you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, that helmet uh, originally when the Bengals came in in the 60s uh, was orange with the words Bengals written across it in black and uh, white trim and that was created by Paul Brown. Uh, Paul Brown of course came back was talked into uh, basically you know starting a team again and so uh, even though he didn't own the team, uh, the reason that the uh, Cincinnati Bengals came into the league was because of Paul Brown, and he uh, took this uh, new franchise uh, and, uh, you know, had uh, was responsible for the helmet. Uh, another helmet that's, uh, of course, you know, certainly uh, iconic is the Green Bay Packer helmet with the, the G on it. We mentioned that earlier in the show. Uh, they didn't have the G on there in 1960. It was, I think, the following year, maybe 62, where you uh, finally see them with the G. But uh, when Lombardi left in 69 after winning five championships and two Super Bowls, Phil Bankston, who was his assistant, took over, and Lombardi had a press conference, introduced Phil Bankston as the next coach of the Green Bay Packers, and so Lombardi take Pax's bags, heads east for the Washington Redskins, and was responsible for the yellow uh, Washington Redskin helmet. If you remember, it uh, it had uh, an R in it uh, with uh, feathers off of it. Uh, Lombardi actually designed that helmet uh, to the specs of the Green Bay helmet. They didn't wear it very long, but it is one of the helmets uh, that they've had. And so, you know, helmets probably in football give character to the team. I think that's the first thing we notice when we go to a game and we see the helmet. Uh, you know, one of the helmets that always intrigued me was the um, NC State uh, helmet with that wolf pack, that wolf on the, on the helmet. You know, it gives them a certain aura. You know, you look at the um, the Oakland Raiders, who started with a black helmet in 1960. Uh, they basically patterned their uniforms. That's when Tom Flores was there as their, as their uh, quarterback. If you look at the early pictures of the Raiders, uh, they emulated the Bears. They had a black jersey with the uh, gold and white stripes on the sleeves, a black helmet, and then uh, a few years later went to the silver and black. At one point when Darryl LaMonica was there, they had silver numbers on their jersey, which I thought was uh, very sharp and is also a very popular jersey. But then, of course, you had the San Diego Chargers, a uh, team that I followed a lot because my hero was Lance Allworth, and I loved watching Hadle to Allworth and Hadle to Garrison and Dicky Post and Jacques McKinnon and all those great players, Speedy Duncan, you know, you name it, Earl Faisal, all those guys that uh, that played on that team. Um, that was a very innovative helmet. I don't know if uh, Baron Hilton, who owned the Chargers in 1960, who was who was the owner of all of the uh, Hilton Hotels, I don't know if he had anything to do with that helmet, but nonetheless, uh, the jersey remains one of the top-selling jerseys, that powder blue one that the uh, Chargers still use, and used exclusively uh, way back in the 60s uh, as a home jersey. So the helmet you know, certainly gives character to a team. We've seen the transition, you know, from no helmets to basically a kind of a skull cap helmet to, uh, uh, you know, the, the the leather helmet that basically like a gladiator, and then of course the plastic suspension helmets back in the 60s. Then they had the air-filled uh, bladder-type helmets that they would actually see uh, equipment men on the side pumping the helmet with air uh, that would be form fitting and now of course uh, all of the concussion uh, various uh, retro types of helmets that uh, the players use today so uh, the evolution of the helmet uh, the helmet design kind of an interesting uh, scenario to say the least well that about do it for our show today thanks so much for joining us on this segment of sports beat radio talk and sports and today we're talking about the history uh, of the helmet and the logos and uh, interesting the uh, Denver Broncos at one point 1960 borrowed uniforms from the old Copper Bowl the mustard jersey with the brown pants and white stripe brown helmet and white letters uh, that's when uh, Frank Trapuca played there uh, you know the Rams of course you know some of the, uh, the Eagles helmets way back you know you look at uh, San Francisco who once had a silver helmet the Rams using the old blue helmets with the white horns back in the Roman Gabriel days. An interesting thing to watch for those of us who are fans of football. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio. And until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.